morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Thomas Oakes. I moved here from Washington, D.C. down to San Antonio about three years ago, and I was looking for a good community that served the Lord and uh, worshiped Him and where I could grow. And I found that here, um, and so I'm very grateful to get to read scripture here this morning. Last week in our study of Mark, we looked at Jesus' rejection in his hometown of Nazareth and the unbelief of many. In our continuation of Mark 6 today, we'll see Jesus sending out the 12 disciples with his power and his authority to continue his work in the world. The gospel of Christ is on the move and the disciples are sent out with specific instructions to share the kingdom of God, even with the risk of rejection. Let us turn to Mark chapter six, verses seven to 13. I invite you to read along in your own Bibles or follow along on the screens as I read the passage aloud. Hear the word of the Lord. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now please join me in the response printed on the screens. All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. Amen. Thank you, Thomas, for reading for us. It's Oaks, not Ox. I don't know if you knew that about him. He just said that, so that's good. Uh, welcome. Again, I extend the greetings you've already received, and I'm glad that you all are here worshiping with us today. I'm Becky Pritchard, one of the associate pastors on staff. And um, what a great passage we have for um, us to look at today as we continue in the book of Mark. Before we jump in, let us pray. Oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As Carrie prayed earlier today, it is a, a very special day in the life of First Presbyterian Church, a day in which we ordained and installed our new class of elders and deacons. If you are not familiar with the polity and structure of our church, we have people serving as elders and deacons. They are called officers, and they are elected by you all, the covenant partners of the church. So in the spring, we had a congregational meeting. You all voted, and these elders and deacons were ordained and installed this morning in our nine o'clock worship service. Very special day as we recognize the call of Christ on human lives, on our lives. These men and women have been set apart. They've been prayed over. They have taken vows to lead in obedience to Jesus Christ and to be prayerful while they serve this congregation. It's easy to go through the motions of this type of installation. We do it every August. It's very familiar for those in the Presbyterian Church. Um, and we forget sometimes the power of God's call on our lives. 
We forget sometimes the importance of God's sending his people for his glory. We see that this is nothing new. As we look at scripture, we see examples of this all throughout the Old and the New Testaments. Abraham, Moses, Noah, prophets being called to share things that they weren't sure were going to happen. In the New Testament, we see Christ's call for people to follow him, for his disciples literally to give up their, their day jobs to follow after him. And today in our passage, we will see Christ sending those disciples into the world to share his good news. So as we dive deep into God's word and we recognize Christ's sending of his disciples, I pray that those in this room, that we all, those watching online, that we might open our hearts to the call that God has for each and every one of us. Whether you're young or old, God is calling. And might we open our hearts to see where he is sending. So as we celebrate today our new officers, our new elders and deacons in their position of leadership, might we discover ways, unique ways, that God is calling all of us to serve. Like as a children's ministry Sunday school teacher, for example. Did somebody hear that? Anyone? Mary Henderson, can I get an amen? Um, but seriously, there are myriad of ways that God is calling us to, sent, to serve. Myriad of ways. And so now let's dig in to see what those ways might be. So as Thomas just said, last week we looked at the beginning of chapter 6 where Jesus was rejected at Nazareth in his very own hometown. We, we begin to see the doubt and unbelief of some. And so we're left wondering what Jesus is going to do next. We pick up in verse 7, as he just read in chapter 6, and we see that after his rejection, Jesus decides to take action. And notice that in this first verse, the first thing that Jesus does is call the 12 disciples to himself. He calls them to himself. Before he does anything, before he sends them or gives them instructions or tells them where they're supposed to go, he calls them to himself. Come to me. He doesn't say those words, but we know in scripture other times Christ says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. Before they are sent, they must first go to Jesus. He calls them to himself. They must be with Jesus to not only sit with him, but also to learn what to do next. We see Jesus calling several times in scripture, and often you and I, we miss that step. We're eager to go. The Great Commission says, go and make disciples. Okay, let's go. But first, we must sit with Jesus, reminded of whose we are, reminded of what the message is. It's not just our own, but it is his. Often we feel like God is sending us. Charlie Foltz, he's sent. God has sent him. And he comes to sit with Jesus first before he goes. So if we look back at Mark chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, we studied this months ago. But we remember that Jesus saw the fishermen and called them at that moment to follow me. Literally, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So he's called them to become learners, to become followers to watch what he does. Come follow me. Literally, just walk behind me and see what I do. Following the leader, we all learned that in elementary school. Follow me. 
And then in chapter 3 of Mark, in verse 14 and 15, we remember that Jesus appointed those whom he'd called to become disciples. And it, and it quotes, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. The disciples have been preparing for this very moment, the moment that we're seeing in chapter six now. They've left their nets to follow Jesus. They were appointed as the sent ones, apostles, the sent ones, so that they might be able to preach about Jesus and have the authority of Jesus to heal. And now is the time. They've gotten to follow along, and now is the time for them to do the work that they have been called to do. You know, maybe it was Jesus' rejection at Nazareth that sparked him to realize the gospel of Christ needed to reach more people quicker. There's a little urgency after his rejection. Or maybe he thought that the witness of others, besides just his own, would help to bring people to understand the good news in a new and different way. Either way, he catalyzed this group of individuals and he called them to multiply the message and proclaim the kingdom of God throughout a wider sphere. Jesus is just one person, but he's taught. These these folks have followed him and watched him, and now is the time for them to go. So let's stop for a moment and imagine what it might have felt like to be one of the disciples. Now, this is not written in scripture. This is just sort of pretend as if, let's imagine. Jesus, literally, I've left my nets to follow him. I've left my job and I'm following Jesus. This is fun, this is cool, I'm watching Jesus do what he does. And then wow, he's pretty serious about this because now he's calling us apostles and what does that mean? And I don't know what that's gonna have, how that's actually gonna play out in my life, but for now I'm still just watching Jesus and he's doing a pretty good job, right? He's showing us how powerful he is. He is doing some crazy things about healing people. Uh, It's pretty fun to watch and to learn. And now Jesus is saying it's time. Now you go. Are you sure? (laughs) I don't know that I'm ready. I don't know that, I mean, I've been watching, but I haven't actually had to do it yet, and I'm a little bit insecure and scared to do it. You've been doing such a great job, Jesus. You've just done the preaching and the teaching and the healing. You're the one with the authority and the power. Let's just let you keep doing it, right? How many times have we felt that feeling? Oh, are you sure I'm not ready? Couldn't be now. Maybe a few more months and I'll, I'll be ready. The disciples have been learners. They've been soaking up all that Jesus has taught, and they've been watching up to this point, and now they are sent. They are sent. But guess what? As we continue in verse 7, it says that they are not sent alone, but in in pairs. They never were sent alone, but they began to, he began to send them out two by two. Why would he send them in pairs? Wouldn't the message of Christ multiply quicker if he sent one each 12 to different villages? Imagine 12 villages instead of just six. Why wouldn't he send them out alone? A greater impact, more bang for his buck. There's likely a few reasons. One is, first of all, it's tough to be alone, right? Even for the most introverted people who love their alone time, going out and sharing a new message, one that is radical and life-changing, It's nice to have a partner, right? You go, I'll go, I'll follow you, you go first. You tell him first and I'll I'll say yes, I believe it too. But it's nice to have a friend by your side. It gives us confidence, companionship. We're not meant to do it alone. That's why God created us for relationship. 
even those who need to share need a friend. So Jesus sends them in pairs. Second reason probably he sent them in pairs is that two can bring sound witness to the miracles they've experienced. One person coming in saying, yeah, did you hear what Jesus did? And people are like, that guy's making that up. But a second person comes alongside and says, no, it's true, I saw it too. And it was exactly as he said. Suddenly people start to believe. We see this same principle applied in the Old Testament. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 17, it says, on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. So two witnesses is biblical. We trust when there are more people sharing the same story. In pairs, they go in community together. This message is about community. It's about faith, and they go out as community to share with other communities. Just imagine these pairs of disciples on the move, going from village to village, not stuck inside the walls of the church, but rather sent to live among and share with people who have not yet heard this news. The gospel of Christ is on the move. In this first verse of verse 7, it doesn't say specifically what the disciples are supposed to preach about or where exactly they're being sent, but it does, does say that Jesus gave them authority. Jesus gave them authority over unclean spirits. The authority is not their own. It is given by Jesus. Without Jesus, they had no mission. They had no authority. They had no credibility. They had nothing to share. It was nothing of their own. They had nothing of their own to offer people. It was only what Jesus had given them that they were able to share. We know through studying Mark over the last several months that Jesus has authority. We have seen he's had authority over storms, authority over sickness, authority over unclean spirits and demons, the power to heal. We've watched him perform these miracles and the disciples have been right by his side the entire time. And now that same authority that Jesus has given to his disciples, it's the same authority that he's given to his disciples to go and do likewise. It's important to note, though, that these are still human beings. They are not suddenly all-powerful and divine like Jesus. Somehow, they do not share in Jesus' Jesus's divinity. These are still fully human, broken people, just like you and me, humans, who have no power to do anything on their own. We just sang today, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not the disciples, but... Christ through them. It is power vested in them by Jesus, not their own. If you've been married or you've been to a wedding, the, the pastor says when he's marrying a couple, he says, by the power vested in, he or she says, by the power vested in me, by the state of California or wherever, Texas, wherever we are, um, we have the power vested because through our ordination, through our vows that we've taken, pastors have been assigned authority to marry a couple. So the disciples are called to Jesus, given his authority, sent out in pairs to do the work. 
So now, what are they supposed to do next? We don't have to wonder for long because Jesus gives specific instructions in verse eight. He starts to tell exactly what they're supposed to take and what they're not supposed to take, what they're supposed to wear and where they're supposed to stay. He says, take nothing except their staffs and their sandals, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, and to only take one tunic. Good thing they had the one tunic, right? Mm. Um, And the sandals, they're gonna go on a journey, they need to walk, and a staff, what is a staff? A staff could be several different, could mean several different things, but as people going out to shepherd others, to share about Jesus Christ, the ultimate shepherd, they have their staff. Is this because they're supposed to come across as poor or uh, when they enter these different towns so they're not threatening to people? Is this because they're to rely solely on God for every material need that they have? Is this because they're traveling long distances and they need to pack lightly? Why is it that Jesus gives them these specific instructions? Well, it's likely because Jesus is encouraging them to go with humility and vulnerability. He knows that taking along too much might be cause for criticism by some. Oh yeah, here they come, they're all dressed up nice. They got everything they need. Why do they talk about Jesus? When the disciples rely on God for everything, Their focus is on sharing Jesus Christ. The biggest resource they need, the only resource they need, is the authority of Jesus. And he's given that to them. The rest is extra. They'll travel light and God will take care of the rest. In verse 10, as we move through the passage, Jesus gives instructions about entering the very first house that receives them and to stay there until they're to move on. They're not supposed to jump from house to house to house, but literally to stay at the first one that opens their doors. See, during this time in the East, it was the responsibility of the village to offer hospitality to people. Whereas you and I, when we go on a trip, we're making sure that we know exactly where we're gonna stay when we get there. We book our hotel room or we call a friend and we say, can we stay with you? Because we're coming into town. Whereas these strangers can walk into a village and the village's responsibility is to say, here's my house, stay with me. It fell on the village to offer hospitality. So Jesus is saying, whoever opens their doors to you, stay put there. They are the ones welcoming you until that time, your time in that village is over. And then as we continue into verse 11, he says, and if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So basic, basically, the village is responsible for hosting you, for putting you up when you arrive and to welcoming you into their community. But if by by chance they don't, if a door is closed and it says, no, thank you, we're not interested, then it's not necessarily just a refusal of hospitality, but it's likely a blatant push against the message of Christ. We don't want what you're selling. We're not interested in this message. And so Jesus is saying, instead of wasting your time there trying to convince them, move on to the next town and go where you will be received. Right before this passage, remember, Jesus has just been rejected. So he is preparing the disciples for potential rejection. That's why they're in twos, right? Nobody likes to be rejected. But when you go together, you have the strength. 
So you might be wondering what this whole shake the dust off your feet thing, feet thing is about. It was a gesture the disciples would have understood. They would have known about it because it was custom for very pious and religious Jews, if ever they were traveling outside the Holy Land, as they entered into the Holy Land, they were to shake, literally shake off the dust of the unclean land off their feet before they entered the Holy Land so as not to contaminate the Holy Land. Literally shake off the dirty of the Gentiles before you enter the Holy Land. It's a pretty strong message that Jesus is giving to his disciples. They're going to reject you, shake off the dust, as if they are the unclean. As they're rejecting Jesus' message that they would not be God's people, and therefore the disciples should shake off the dust off their feet. It's pretty powerful language, right? The disciples have a very clear mission. Jesus has given them very clear direction. So we know that Jesus calls the disciples to him, then he sends them out in pairs. He gives them instructions on what to bring, what to wear, where to stay, and what to do if they're rejected. So as we turn to verse 12, we finally get to the content of what they're supposed to say and do. In verse 12 and 13, it says, So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Remember back in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, we talked about how Jesus began his ministry by proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand. And he says, repent and believe the good news. This is the exact same message that Jesus proclaimed at the beginning of his ministry. Nothing has changed. No new bells and whistles, nothing different than when it began. The message is consistent, and Jesus sends them to share the same message. And remember, when we talk about repentance, it's very familiar for those of us in the church, the word repent. Yeah, yeah, say I'm sorry, turn around, do a different, go a different way ask for forgiveness. But repentance hurts. Repentance should be a shock to us. Repent is not a happy, friendly message with a lot of high fives given. Repentance is revolutionary life change where we literally have to stare in the mirror at our sin and say, I'm not going to do that anymore. It's hard to say, I'm not going to do that anymore. This message Jesus' message is that of repentance. We have to stand face to face with our sin. As these disciples go from town to town, repentance is not always well received. So what? You're telling me to repent. Have you repented? Have you learned to live like this? Have you actually turned away from your sin? How can we teach unless we have done or unless we know Repentance must shock us. It hurts to turn around from what feels good. It hurts to actually not just say I'm sorry, but to truly change. It's going to be difficult. It's a difficult message. One that we celebrate here in the church, but often we don't fully understand. So not only do the disciples proclaim repentance, but they also cast out demons, performing miracles, anointing the sick with oil, healing them. The power and authority that these ordinary people have been given because of Jesus is astounding. 
and all for the purpose of bringing more people to this good news, sharing this message with mercy and love with as many people that they, as they can encounter. We must realize that Jesus sends out the disciples before they fully get it before they're fully perfect for the job. In fact, if we read through the entire Gospel of Mark, we realize that they never fully get it. Even to Jesus' last day, they never fully understand all that Jesus is teaching. And although they're committed and they try hard, they, they're following him, they're not perfect. They are not Jesus. Yet Jesus doesn't wait to use them. And just like us, Jesus doesn't wait until we're perfect <clears throat> to use us, because guess what? It ain't happening. We cannot achieve perfection, and we don't always get it right. But why doesn't Jesus wait a little bit longer? Why doesn't he teach them and keep them close a little bit longer so that they can get it closer to right each time? He just knows we're never going to get it all right, and neither are the disciples. After his rejection in Nazareth, this message must be preached. People must hear this good news. And so he sends them out to multiply the message. But remember, the disciples do not go with their own message. They do not share their own opinions, their own findings, their own thoughts, their own commentary, and look at me, and look about my message. No, no, they literally preach exactly what Jesus has preached. One commentator, William Barclay, says, they do not create a message, they brought a message. This was God's truth. Even if they didn't fully understand it, even if they didn't get it right every time, they carried the message of Christ to share through his authority. None of this is about them. It is all about Jesus. So if for some reason you're sitting here and you're feeling hesitant to serve, you're feeling ill-equipped, unqualified, too young, too old, no time, already, already serving in enough areas, I don't need to serve more. Remember these disciples. It's not about them. It's about Jesus' message for this world. Remember that these disciples weren't qualified. They had spent time with Jesus. They were called to him and they sat with him before they went. Maybe that's your first step. Jesus is calling you. Sit with him. Listen to him. Be filled by his love and his grace, reminded of his call for you. They watched Jesus. They learned about him. For us, that would be digging into scripture, learning about God's word, so that we are then equipped to go out and share that word with others. And remember, they didn't go alone. They went together. And that's why we are in this community of faith. That's why we come to church, so that we can be in fellowship with one another, so that when we go out, we're not alone. We have partners to do this with. We have partners. That's why we, that's why we partner with mission, missionaries across the world. They need our support as they share Christ's love in various parts of the world. You don't go alone. Spend the time with Jesus. Learn about your call, listen to his words, and remember you don't go alone. If we can get out of our own insecurity, if we can get out of our own fear of what it means to share about Jesus, 
It's not about coming up with our own message, but it's about sharing the message he's already given us. If, if we remember that we are weak and that that's okay, in fact, that's in scripture, 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Why do we keep trying to be great? Why do we keep trying to get it all right? Why do we have to prove our qualifications? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is Christ's power in us, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The work we're sent to do, the message we're sent to share, it's Christ's work and Christ's message. Let's boast in our weakness, because yes, we cannot do this on our own. It's not about us, it's about him. Let us go boldly, finding out the call God has placed on our lives, sharing with people, not worrying about our qualifications, were chosen by God, sent by him to share his message. So even the elders and deacons that we ordain today, even those ones that you all as a congregation look up to as our spiritual leaders of First Presbyterian Church, guess what? They're not perfect either. Guess what? They're feeling unqualified too. Guess what? They have weaknesses just like we do. All of us do. But they have submitted to the grace of God in obedience to Christ to serve his church, and they're willing to let God use him for his glory. Are you ready to let God use you? Are we inadequate? Yes. Does God need us? No. But does he use us anyway for his glory? Absolutely. Friends, you are chosen. Will you go where he is sending? Let us pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we know that you have placed a call on our lives for your glory and not our own. We know that the message is about you and not about us, yet we get stuck in our own insecurities, in our own fears, in our own pride, worried about what people will think or how they'll receive the message or what it's all about. God, but you have given us a call and you are sending us. Help us to find partners to go together with. Help this church to be a safe place where people can discover their gifts. Help those who might be sitting here feeling like they don't even know that first step of coming to you. They might find somebody to pray with today, to encounter you maybe for the first time ever, to sit with you first before they are sent out. God, you love us so much and you are powerful in the midst of our weakness. God, let us glorify you as we continue to worship together and send us out from here with confidence to proclaim your message of love and grace and joy and hope to this dark world. It's in your son's name that we pray, amen. I invite you to stand together as we continue to worship.